Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hi, let's talk about Pro Plan Sport. Pro Plan Sport is advanced nutrition made to fuel strength and stamina in active dogs like yours. So wherever your next journey together takes you, Start it off right with the high-performance fuel your dog needs to keep pushing you every step of the way. Pro Plan Sport. Learn more at ProPlansport.com. You know our trusted partner, TireRack.com, for their fast, free shipping, free road hazard protection, convenient installation options, and their great selection of best tires, like the highly consumer-rated Goodyear Assurance Weather Ready. But did you know they sell other automotive products? Wheels, brakes, suspension, just to name a few. Go to TireRack.com slash Colin. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. The Volume. Colin Coward Podcast presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. No better place to bet the action than on FanDuel Sportsbook during the football season. There's a lot of reasons. It's America's number one sportsbook. Incredibly easy to use. Super safe. Totally secure. Super fast payouts in as quick as two hours. You're not going to get that anywhere. Also, same game parlay bets, live betting. It's the best. Hey, if you're new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. I did it in 15 seconds. Get started now. Sign up. Please use the promo code Colin so they know we sent you. Please use the promo code Colin, C-O-L-I-N. FanDuel Sportsbook app. Sign up. This is Prime Cuts, the best of the Colin Coward podcast. Unbelievable week for us. The Athletics' Marcus Thompson, how the underdog Celtics have taken control of the series. Chris Mannix, cover the Celtics for years, stop by. Our own Jason Timpf, breaking down the matchups. All right, let's bring on Marcus Thompson, Bay Area columnist for the Athletic. He's written a book, KD. Golden about Steph Curry and the current book, Dynasties, the 10 GOAT teams that changed the NBA forever. As I said, I think he's as good an NBA writer as the country has of the many things. Peyton's dad played in the NBA. Kerr played in the NBA. Steph played in the NBA. His dad, Clay, dad played in the NBA. Wiggins, professional athletes. His dad played (laughs) in the NBA too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know what's fascinating with the Warriors, you can really hard coach them. Like, I don't think yeah. you can. I mean, I, I see the Lakers. You you can't hard coach all those guys, man. <laughs> about to find out with Darvin Ham. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's you're around the Warriors. Like, I, I think I think Kerr is on their ass a lot, and I think they demand 
a lot. And maybe that's my interpretation, but I think there's value. Dad played in the league. Dad tells you the truth about this league, which is you're going to get. And by the way, I think those dads like it because I think they don't want. They see their son making all this money and dad didn't. He's like, coach, coach him hard. But I I do think part of the Warriors culture is this incredibly deep IQ EQ from the dad, the mom on. You can just coach them differently. You know, there is something to that, right? Like, I think it starts with Steph. Uh, because if Steph was different, everything would be different. If he's a superstar, if he acted a certain way, it would be much tougher for everybody to fall in line. But because you can coach Steph, right? Like, because, you know, he's Mr. Mid-Major, like, coach get hard on him. Uh, remember, his mother was finding him for turnovers, right? Like, his dad <laughs> told him all about how it goes. Like, that kind of set the tone. But yeah, I mean, Michael Thompson will throw shade at his own son in a heartbeat, right? He'll 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 point out when Clay's missing layups. And you, can you imagine what Gary Payton has said to his son? Can you imagine? Can you imagine the tough love there? I, I do think there's something to not not just that they were former players, but they're players from a different era where it's like my son can't be soft, right? Now, uh, not my son. He can't. He's not about to be out here misrepresent my generation and, and my right. Ilk, right so i do think there's something to that where it's like hey i know clay thompson is from rancho you know wherever he's from rancho santa margarita whatever you know they grew up in these affluent environments they've had you know nice lives their parents set them up but they're not gonna be soft that's that's not happening that's what gary payton told his son you're not you're not about to be i, I know you're not from the hard scrabble streets of oakland but you're, you're wearing that paint name. You better get out here and play hard. And they all they all do kind of have that, right? Like, Steph will never stop coming at you, ever. And he went to Charlotte Christian. Right? Like, this is not right. he's from the right side of the tracks, right? But I do think their fathers kind of put that in of that 90s basketball. And who's, who's more 90s basketball than Steve Kerr? Like, he fought Michael Jordan. He will fight yep. all of them dudes, right? Like, well, remember with Mike Brown? Steve Kerr caught like COVID and Mike Brown had to fill in. And there were moments where it was like, here's where you miss Steve. Cause Steve will call a timeout and cuss the whole team out. Right. Steve will, Steve will call out Steph for the turnovers. He will go off on Draymond. Whereas Mike Brown is like, all right, I'm going to trust that these guys figure it out. And that's where you kind of really felt Steve Kerr's impact. He don't care about like your feelings. He going to tell you what it is. He going to call you when you're wrong. He going to get on his superstar. And and when he wrong, he's gonna call it. But he doesn't care about that. That dude played with Michael Jordan. Like <laughs> he ain't worried about any. No. He ain't worried about the feelings of his players for sure. Yeah, you know it's what happens in sports is we tend to overreact, um, and it's always been inches, not feet. I mean, Tom no, Brady. Are you sure? I we mean, don't Brady react outside of the Rams <laughs> Super Bowl. Brady could have lost all of them, or he could have won all of them. And so it's it kind of is is reasonable. He should have lost a couple of close Super Bowls, right? Like as whereas Jordan, I always felt his team was really better. So if the Warriors win, I, I I feel this Warrior team is a little just a year too young, Moody, Kaminga, with a couple of their players, and then they're yeah. a little too old, oh, yeah. Steph, Clay, uh, Iggy, but yet. They're just so buoyant. They're so smart. They're they're they you know what I mean? They they just keep they don't they get rid the of their media anchors. age is perfect, huh? The media yeah. age is perfect. <laughs> right. So they just they're just 
um, they just kind of figure shit out, right? Yeah. And but it, it's interesting if they lost this series, yeah, there'd be a change made, even for a, a franchise that doesn't overreact. And I'm thinking, if let's say they lose the series, Clay doesn't play well. What do you do? They got a lot of young. They got a lot of young players that are really interesting, and they're getting really expensive with their old players. I've everybody says you can't break them up, and I'm like, you know how many times I've heard that shit? You lose a title game, and you have four expensive stars, and one of them doesn't play well. Mm-hmm. People overreact. I don't. I don't know that they do this time because I don't think the expectation was a championship. So. They're already, in a sense, playing with house money. You know, I think from that standpoint, um, they thought they'd be good again. If they lost in the West Finals to Phoenix, say, right? Phoenix was the best team in the league before Dallas, like, exposed them. I feel like they look at this and say, all right, we're back. I mean, they went from not making a play into the West Finals. The thing you got to, the thing that I may, I, that gives them patience, right? It gives them a chance to have patience is, the money that kick in, like the new money, won't kick in until the next season. Not this next season, but the one after that. That's when uh, Jordan Poole's money will kick in. And that's the big money you're talking about. And also, if if Clay finishes the series not playing well, Draymond finishes the series not playing well, what can you get for him on the market? The best thing you might be able to do is run it back and hope Clay in his second year will be more healthy. It'll it'll just be it'll be tough to move them, but I do feel like from all the talk that I've heard, this season reminded them or or, or was confirmation that they can win a championship again, even if it's not this year. They're back in the mix, so now you're running back next year, right? You got Wiggins in a contract year, you know. Even if you resign Poole, that would kick in for two years. So like. Financially, they're still basically in the same situation. The question becomes, how do you add what you need, right? Now, if they lose the finals, it's like, yo, you need to get some rim protection, right? You can use another wing. Like, how do you get that? And that's where you need the rookies to advance. So they kind of are in a situation where I don't know it would benefit them if they overreacted. Like, who's the player they could go get that's better than what they have? So they might be well positioned. The question is, what happens in two years? Or if they decide to re-up Wiggins, right? Now you got Wiggins getting new money and Jordan Poole getting new money and you still got Steph making 50, Clay 40, right? Like, then the numbers get crazy. But do you see the numbers they're raking in? They just guaranteed a fifth game, a, a, a third game in this playoff series. So that's that's four series with at least three games at the highest ticket prices we've ever seen. So Money ain't a thing. They're like it's like Joe Lacob is like in that video with Jay Z and, and Jermaine Dupri with the top down screaming out, "Money ain't a thing." You know, he, he, can, pay, he can pay it all. <laughs> Put somebody needs to Photoshop Joe Lacob in that in the drop in the convertible with Jay Z and, and, and Jermaine Dupri. Is your relationship different from Steph to Draymond? Is it? Is it like? Do you? Everybody, I have different personalities with different people. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, like, is your personality? Is your relationship different with those two? Oh, yeah. No question. First off, Steph is like a global icon, right? <laughs> so right. it's like it's like you get two minutes with the president. You know what I'm saying? You feel like <laughs> I'm a big West Wing guy, right? Remember, like it, yeah. it would be like it would be like people holding up whole bills, right, in Congress. And their answer is 
that just give me two minutes with the president, right? And then, all right, that's all you wanted. I could have got you that, right? That stuff is on that level, right? To where right. I sometimes forget because I've known him for so long, right? It's like, you know, this dude is huge. Like he's a global icon. So that that's different from that way. Whereas Draymond is like definitely like homie next door, right? Like you, you can talk to Draymond, you can talk back to him, right? You can you can argue with Draymond, and you can do that stuff with Steph if you get to him. He's just such a major, huge icon. But they're both incredibly down to earth. So, right, Steph is hilarious. Like he's always dogging me in press conferences. Like he's, he's funny. He's he's cool. Uh, Draymond is like you could you could be a Draymond could go to Target. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like Draymond is one of them dudes who can just kick it in target and talk to everybody because he's so versatile. Yeah. No, I, he is, you know, when I started the volume, I, I think all companies need a moment, a break. And I've yeah. been on this volume thing work. It's, it's a year and a half old, but I've been working on it for two and a half years. And Draymond was our, our big break. Like we knew he was going to be good, um, but he was so much, he's such a grinder. And he's just, he's such a great example for the rest of our podcasters. I'm like, he's our biggest star and he's our hardest worker. And it, it kind of speaks to his second round draft selection, his Michigan State career. Oh, yeah. No question. I mean, his game is his podcast game. Same thing. No question. That dude, sometimes I have to like stop and think about it. Like, I remember when he was getting drafted. And he thought he was going to be a first rounder. In the second round, he was still there. Remember, he was like the chubby dude, a tweener, like what he's grown to become. And I think the part the part that always gets missed is just how smart he is, right? Like how he figures things out. And he, he always seems to like play chess while everybody else is playing checkers. So you kind of feel like, man, this dude will be able to do anything because he's got the IQ to figure it out, right? And half the time, when he's doing his thing, like he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's saying. Right? Oh, absolutely. He knows exactly. What, yeah, he, yes. It's all like calculated from this like algorithm did, in his head. Did you see with Jalen Brown, he just moved his feet just up the torso to be a pain in the ass. <laughs> yes. Just like graze that calf sweat all yep. up against him. Absolutely. Yeah. He knows. I'm telling you, he. I remember this from back in the day when it was Blake Griffin and the Clippers. Like he knows exactly what he's doing. Like, and he does get out of control, but it's far less than what people think. It's uh, it's often more calculated. Like he's he's super smart. Like that's the thing about Draymond. He's so smart. He's going to figure it out no matter what. And then he's gonna talk crazy once he figured it out because it didn't look like he was gonna figure it out. It's all part of the plan. Like I've seen him literally like set himself up because he knows I'm better when I got to prove my points or I'm better when I got to, sh- I got to show you. Right. And so like that dude is like, he's, he's a bit of a genius in that sense, especially. Oh, there's no, there's, like, there's a real, yeah, like he's, yeah, he's a savant. It's crazy. I mean, really it's, it's like, wild with Rodman. Rodman had some of that, but he wasn't a catalyst offensively. And and there were times with Rodman where he just lacked certain personal self-control. I yeah, think yeah, those yeah. moments for Draymond are very, very brief. They're a second. He gets mad. But then he just goes right back to being kind of the ultimate physical manipulator. And also, he, like, owns his stuff, right? He doesn't, he doesn't duck. You never hear him play. Like, he was, he, he was the first one. I wasn't good in game one. Like, Draymond... <laughs> 
he is one of them dudes who kind of you know he's just telling the truth because he doesn't he's too smart to lie you know what i'm saying it's almost like i don't need to lie because i, I can figure it out right i don't need to get out of it because i can figure out the situation but so he also owns it when he's not when he's not ready or when, when he's not like on point but usually he's on point there's just some more times that people understand his craziness is more calculated than it is combustion no. you know what i'm saying <laughs> absolutely The NBA Finals are here, and so is your chance to score big on FanDuel Sportsbook. Throughout the Finals, FanDuel's giving new customers $200 in free bets. $200 free bets, guaranteed, when you place your first $5 bet. Bet the money line, point spreads, player props. Just sign up. The promo code is always Colin. That's me, C-O-L-I-N. If you haven't tried FanDuel, now's the perfect time. Give it a shot. The only thing sweeter than watching the finals is cashing in on the action. Join today. Promo code Colin. Turn a $5 bet into $200 in free bets. Win or lose. Make every game feel like game seven with FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, and Louisiana. Permitted parishes only. Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 533-42-ARIZONA. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. Connecticut, 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG. In Colorado, Indiana, Jersey, and Virginia, 1-877-770-STOP. In Louisiana, 1-800-270-7117. For confidential help in Michigan, 1-877-HOP. P-E-N-Y or text H-O-P-E-N-Y 467-369 in New York, Tennessee. Redline 1-800-889-9789 Tennessee. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my! Look at that! He is... And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. So Chris Mannix, longtime NBA reporter, does it for Sports Illustrated, senior writer, hosts the Crossover Pod. So uh, we could only afford his boxing pod. Uh, hopefully, we will accumulate. Draymond Green's going to make us all rich. So then we'll be able to afford the whole Chris Mannix package. Listen, um, yeah, this is the simplest way um, to describe what I'm seeing. The Celtics don't even need Jason Tatum to play well to control much of the series. The Warriors need Steph to be great for four quarters or at least three, or they're done in this series. The role players, the non-starters, the non-stars for the Celtics are contributing mightily in this series. And the Warriors, many of their young players Moody's not ready. Kaminga's not ready. Wiseman's not healthy. Poole's hit and miss. I said this today on television. Most, not all, but most championship teams have a majority of their best players in their prime. Celtics do. Warriors don't. Little old there, little young there. I think it's that simple. I, I think the fact that Boston can control the series and Tatum has been okay I kind of feel like the Warriors are doomed. Am I overreacting? No, I don't think so. And look, I picked the Celtics to win in six to start this series because everything I've seen from Boston, and I've been up close and personal with them since the start of the season, but everything I've seen from Boston from late January on suggests that they're the real deal. I mean, if you look at the numbers from mid-January to the end of the season, they weren't just the best defense in the NBA. They were the best defense in the NBA by a country mile. And and we mentioned the top, they're generationally good uh, defense. And to your point, they don't need Jason Tatum to go off to put up between 105 and 115 points. Um, They need Tatum to contribute in other ways. They need him to be a facilitator, which is something that Ime Udoka has drilled into him really from the start of the season. But as long as he's contributing in that way, they don't need him to be um, a carry-the-team type of offensive player because they do have a, a, a wide selection of weapons they can go to. I mean, Jalen Brown, I thought, in Game 3, set the tone in that game. I mean, he was the one out there being aggressive early on. Jalen's the kind of guy, Colin, that he heard and read every single thing that was out there about Draymond Green locking him up in Game 2, about the way the Warriors pivoted to Draymond on Jalen and the impact that had on him. And he came out looking like he was determined uh, to show that he was better than that. On top of that, Al Horford 
more the player that scored the 20s in game one that scored the two points in game two. Grant Williams started to make a couple of shots. Peyton Pritchard made a couple of shots. The margin for error for Boston is just a lot wider than the margin for error with Golden State. You know, Clay had a great game three, but I'm not banking on Clay playing like that the rest of this series. Everything I've seen of Clay this postseason tells me that when he's left alone for standalone jump shots, he's the old Clay Thompson. When he's asked to play on the move or run off screens, he is a diminished version of himself because his body's not all the way back from those lower leg injuries. So, uh, you know, Steph is now hurt with what he says, the same injury that cost him, what, like a month plus towards the end of the season, maybe a little bit uh, better than what that was. I just think Golden State is in a world of trouble to where it's the point where if Boston wins game four, I think they win the series in five. Yeah. So I'll throw this at you. So Ime Adoku comes into the Celtics and they have a really bad first two months. And um, you don't always see that in football coaching. Sometimes Sean McVay goes to the Rams. It works instantly with Jared Goff. So, but in basketball is different. If for some reason, Spolstra, LeBron, Wade, it took like 20 games to get it right. You were there. Why were they so bad early? Yeah, I was there. And over the weekend, I spoke to Ime Yudoka on the phone for about 20 minutes about this specific subject. And we talked about the resistance that he faced uh, from these Celtics players early on to two specific things that he was trying to implement. Defensively, they play very differently from how they played under Brad Stevens. The way this team switches, only a handful of teams in the NBA do it, largely because if you don't have a point guard that can switch in the way that Marcus Smart can switch, there's no point in doing it. And the Celtics, for the last 10 years, they have often or always really had a lead guard who has been a defensive liability, whether it was Isaiah Thomas, Kyrie Irving, Kemba Walker, you had to hide that player. So the Celtics, they were transforming their defense in training camp to become something totally different to the point where Ime told me that Jason Tatum came to him in the first week of training camp and saying, you know, maybe this isn't going to work. Maybe we should go back to some of the principles that we used um, in previous seasons. Ime's message just stick with it, stick with it, and force them to stick with it. The other part on the other end of the ball was that, you know, Ime, he had a bird's eye view of these Celtics for the last two years. He was an assistant on Brett Brown's staff when they lost to Boston in the bubble. He was an assistant on Steve Nash's staff when they beat them in the first round. He knew what this team needed. And what this team needed was for Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to stop being so focused on being one-on-one players and become playmakers, to embrace that part of the offensive game. It was funny, Colin. You go back even further to when Ime was introduced as the Celtics head coach. He's sitting up there next to Brad Stevens, and somebody asks him about improvements. And Ime specifically cites that the Celtics were 27th in assists in that, that previous season, looks over at Brad kind of sheepishly and is like, sorry, Brad, sorry, I had to say it, but we need to improve in that area. So he knew what this team needed to do to get better. It just took them months to figure it out and to really embrace it. They weren't truly bought in 
probably until after the first of the year. There were flickers towards the end. You remember that Phoenix game on New Year's Eve where they just blew the doors off the Suns? They were moving the ball really well there. But it wasn't until mid to late January where it all started to coalesce and they completely bought in. One thing he did that surprised me that worked was his tough love paid off. I mean, I I do TV in Boston as well for NBC Sports. I do the pre and post game show. And I can't tell you the number of times I sat on that desk after bad losses, watching an email press conference and then responding to it after he had just taken out the blowtorch and napalm these guys. Like he was hitting them hard. He wasn't, you know, Brad Stevens, his philosophy, as it is with many coaches in the NBA, was to take it all on him. It was the coach's fault. I did, I made all the mistakes. It's not the players because he believed that was in the best interest of the team. Ime didn't do that. Ime just went out there and specifically cited guys who weren't getting the job done. I remember thinking, this is never going to work. Like a coach with no resume to speak of, a first-year head coach on any level, blasting his team in the way Ime is, is never going to work. But it turns out that's exactly the kind of coaching that these Celtics craved and exactly the kind of coaching that they ultimately responded to. So it was... You know, and look, a quick example, Robert Williams is playing in this series right now because Ime Udoka spent the first two months of the year and into, even before that, into training camp, finding 900 ways to call Robert Williams soft to basically imply <laughs> that Robert Williams in years past did not play through pain as much as he as he should have. Fast forward through this season, there's a toughness to Robert Williams that simply did not exist in previous years, and that's what's enabling him to go out there on one leg a month, coming back a month after knee surgery, and give them 20, 25 good minutes every single night. That's a direct result of the tough love Ime Yodoka showed. I, I think what happened to Brad Stevens is he smartly realized they were tuning him out. He had a player or two that didn't just didn't connect with him, and he realized this is not the time. That was my takeaway. Is he's he's a smart enough guy, got self awareness. He's like, you know what? I think Quinn Snyder feels the same way. Like, I'm just running in circles here. Uh, I can't figure out the Gobert Donovan Mitchell issue. I can't solve this jigsaw puzzle. Let's get a former player in here. No, I, I think when it comes to hard coaching, you have to read the room, right? I mean, Brad Stevens, for his entire time in Boston, I viewed him as a top 10 coach. At times, I felt he was a top five coach. In the NBA, his play calling, his understanding of basketball is at an elite level. But as he got towards the end, it certainly, I don't know if his voice was being drowned out or tuned out, but it wasn't having the same impact. The players were not responding in the way they responded early in the careers of Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Marcus Smart. And to Brad Stevens' credit, he didn't go out there and find someone that he could connect with or relate with on a personal level. He went out there and found the anti-Brad Stevens. He found a coach who was philosophically and in terms of coaching background, completely different. Ime Udoka, ex-player, never been a head coach on any level, longtime assistant, defensive-minded guy as he was in his previous two stops in Brooklyn and in Philadelphia. He found a guy that was that could give this team something that he couldn't. That's one of the biggest reasons the Celtics are there right now, are here right now. And I agree with you on Quinn Snyder. I think it's the exact same type of situation. I don't know 
if a new coach is going to be able to come in and elevate that team to a Celtics-like level. There are just too many flaws with that roster beginning on the defensive side, but I do think they would respond better to a different coach than Quinn Snyder. So, uh, as I'm prone to do, let me pat myself on the back here. Um, I said early in this series, you as my witness, I said, believe it or not, I think Robert Williams is the key to the series. He's not the best player. He's not a top three, four player. But he had the biggest plus minus when you put him in the game between the ejections, the offensive rebounds, the the rejections, and the offensive rebounds. And he shuts down any interior scoring. So Boston had better paint scoring, more blocks, uh, 13 or 14 offensive rebounds. And generally, if you look at a series, you think it's, Tatum or Brown um, or Curry, and they're better players. I think the size, I think Robert Williams, I think he's a complete, utter disruptor to the interior scoring to the Warriors, and he reduces them to a three-ball shooting team, and as good as they are, if Boston scored in transition, down low, and on jump shots, and and you can only score offensively deep, as good as Clay was. I think if Robert Williams gives you 26 minutes or up, rest of the series, I think Boston's the better team. Your thoughts? Most most importantly, Rob Williams just played a much better game than he had been playing yeah. earlier in the series as well. He looked a lot more immobile is the wrong word, but just he looked banged up in the first couple of games a little bit. Uh, right. He was doing some silly stuff too where he was roaming too much off of Kevon Looney and getting kind of lost and, and giving up. Uh, stuff on the back end. I thought he just played a really sharp game on both ends of the floor. He was much more uh, he he was much more focused and intentional about where he was supposed to be on the defensive end. And then on the offensive end, you know, big guys typically muck up spacing, but there are two ways that you can counter that. One is what's called vertical spacing. So if you're a great jumper around the rim that can catch lobs, that helps. Um, but the big one is offensive rebounding, and he got a bunch of huge offensive rebounds. Uh, just crashing the glass relentlessly with his size and athleticism. As a team, Boston, you know, Colin, we talked about this after game two. We both said, you know, Golden State won the physicality battle in the second half. But we thought as long as it stayed that style of game throughout the series, it would actually favor Boston because they're just simply the bigger and stronger team, not just on the perimeter, but under the basket as well. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a couple of things we just have to own. Warriors are going to win the third quarter, and Boston's going to have bad six-minute stretches, even in wins. Uh, they're, they're not. This is not a beautiful offensive team. And when they're playing a disruptive defense like Golden State, they just got to bake it in. We just, they're just going to have these moments. But, and I, I had said this probably two or three weeks ago on, on Fox, on FS1. I said, um, they're so good defensively. When they have these horrible six-minute, seven-minute stretches, the Celtics do, you know, they trail by eight. Um, you know, Miami's got a little bit of that. That Miami, you know, Miami I don't think is nearly as good as Boston because Tyler Hero is such a uh, limited player um, defensively. But uh, Boston has the ability. They know they can get ugly, but they just play so hard. They protect the rim. And, okay, you're down seven. Um, you know, so much of this sport and the Warriors dynasty is about these great runs. And I think a lot of what Boston does well is just limit your runs mostly. Um, but to your point, Boston has ugly basketball. Like they do stuff and you're like, oh, this is just not. But, you know, I, 
if you look at the history of the NBA, I've been watching it since the early 70s. There's been a handful of great teams, the Showtime Lakers, Warriors, MJ's Bulls. A lot of our champions, Jason, have been really flawed teams. Um, they've had overachievers. They've had one star. And I kind of, I kind of feel like that's what Boston is. They feel like good enough to win a championship. Um, they're going to need health. Robert Williams have to be healthy. I think they're going to need another big game from Marcus Smart. Um, you know, I had Warriors in six. I don't feel as good about it. The Celtics are minus three and a half in game four. I probably take the Warriors plus the points, but I don't know if the Warriors win. I, I, I feel like with Robert Williams looking much more dynamic tonight, I, I think that's just, that is a dilemma. I don't think it's a solvable issue for the Warriors. Since the Brooklyn series, they haven't had many consecutive good performances. I'd say probably game six and game seven against Milwaukee was their best example of that. But they, they pretty consistently, after having a great performance, go back in the next game and lose sight of the things that went well for them and have issues. You, you pointed out that, that Boston is a flawed team, and I 100% agree. And generally speaking, though, the flawed teams that end up succeeding have overwhelming advantages in other areas of the game. So, for instance, the 2020 Lakers were a bad half-court offense team. They were bad in the regular season. They were bad th throughout the, the bubble stretch before they got into the playoffs. But they just had these two incredible mismatches in LeBron and AD. And they were a dominant defensive team. And they rode that wave to the championship. And guess what? No one ever really cared that their half-court offense wasn't great. This Boston team, yeah. like their physical advantages on the perimeter, like we talked about in game two, have caused Golden State to make an adjustment that has really hurt them around the rim. They had to because their guards are too small. They had to pull Draymond Green out to guard Jalen Brown. In the bench lineup in the second quarter, they had to have Draymond Green guard Jason Tatum when Andrew Wiggins was out. So like they're in this predicament where they had to take their best backline defender, their best rim protector, because Looney's an okay rim protector, but he's not in the same stratosphere as Draymond Green. But because they had to pull him out to the perimeter to guard these guys, he's not there helping on the backline either. So it's like a physical mismatch forced the Golden State Warriors to play a defensive style of basketball that they have never played really. When it, when can you think like they never put Draymond Green on LeBron as a primary defender? You know, like that's that that's because they just had the luxury of having these bigger, stronger wings like Andre Iguodala, right, and and Harrison Barnes. But because of the fact that Otto Porter Jr. is just a touch too skinny and isn't laterally quick enough to stay in front of people, and because Gary Payton the second is just a touch too small, and because all of the other wings they have like Moses Moody and Jonathan Kaminga are too young to throw into the fire in this situation, they're kind of stuck in this predicament where they just simply don't have the physical matchups necessary to contain these big Boston forwards. And and again, Colin, Boston did not play overly well tonight. And, and that's no. that's the wild part there. I don't know what to expect in game four. This Boston team has been the most unpredictable team that I've watched in this playoff run. But I, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if they came out and dominated them again in game four. So I take notes. You know, I have scratches all over paper and so i go quarter by quarter and just this is what's really good news this is would be disturbing if i'm a warriors fan here's who i mention in the fourth i have four notes marcus smart banks in a three 98 89 grant williams dot 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 13 offensive rebounds for the celtics robert williams now four rejections 
Marcus Smart hitting shots, 22. I don't mention Tatum. I don't mention Brown. I'm talking about role players. Like, that would be like akin to me saying for the Warriors, Jordan Poole in the fourth quarter. Uh, uh, Kayvon Looney gets big shot. <laughs> no, you need Steph. So Boston in the fourth quarter, Grant Williams, Robert Williams, Marcus Smart. I don't have Tatum down. I have Tatum all over the third. But I, what it tells you is Boston's role players um, or non-stars, I guess Marcus Smart kind of is, they're crucial. Whereas I think the, some of those players for the Warriors are liabilities. That feels like a thing to me right now. Absolutely. And like I, I to, to even take it a step further, Colin, like there's gonna be a game in this series where Marcus Smart isn't turning the ball over all over the place. Like as much as he shot well at the end, he was like he made some very, very, very painful mistakes throwing the basketball all over the court that led to run out dunks and layups for the Warriors. Uh, Jalen Brown, who was dominant at the beginning of the game, wasn't super aggressive down the stretch. Jason Tatum, who was great down the stretch, wasn't great for the first three quarters. There's a version of this Boston attack where all of these guys play well. And if that happens in Golden State, like let's say it's in a game five when the series is 3-1 or it's 2-2, like there's a version of this Boston team that can hit a ceiling that they haven't hit yet uh, in this series. And most importantly, I thought Boston had some adjustments uh, that were in their back pocket that they hadn't gone to yet. This was something that we also talked about on the favorites. You know, generally speaking, when you're looking at a playoff series, you want to look at what what is available as an option, right? Like when you're looking at the Warriors and you're looking at their shortage of bigger wings, you're like, okay, our our next best option is Moses Moody, like a a a, a, a young kid to throw in this environment. Ugh, that's not a great option. But Boston just has this long list of options that they could go to. And they have so much defensive versatility. Colin, check this out. One, th one thing they were getting killed by in the first couple of games is the Steph Draymond high pick and roll. And because they were unable to guard it. Well, guess what they did? They put Jason Tatum on Draymond Green and they put Al Horford on Andrew Wiggins. How many teams can put their center on your wing and their wing on your center? And what they did is they just started switching that high pick and roll. And you, did, I don't know if you saw the stat, uh, uh, Colin, but Draymond Green is like, top 10 all time and assists in the finals. Did you see that? Yeah. And, yeah, and, a, yeah, hu yeah. and a, a huge reason why that's the case is because teams double Steph on those pick and rolls and then Draymond Green is such a good passer coming out of that. Kevon Looney is not. And so they were unable to run their high pick and roll because Jason Tatum was on Draymond. It's just a simple little adjustment that caused them a, a bunch of problems. There's just more cards in Boston's deck that they can play as this series plays out than Golden State has. Golden State's chance to win is basically hoping that Boston will vomit all over themselves and they will yeah. execute smartly like the veteran team as things progress, which by the way, might happen. <laughs> but that, right. that's their so hope. Make sure to check out the Draymond Green Show. I brought Draymond Green into the volume because one of the more entertaining voices in sports, unique perspective, understands behind the rope, also chops up with guests like Gary Payton, Zach Levine, Tracy McGrady. Make sure to download the Draymond Green Show 
wherever you get your podcasts, only on the Volume Podcast Network. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening.